Hello everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast teaching you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am, as always, your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen-West. Greetings. And our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Still waiting for that day where you announce evil first. Evil can never prevail over good because something, something, something. Something. Dark side. Yes. Yes. Wrong genre, my bad. <laughs> I mean, isn't Star Wars basically like 40k? Aren't they essentially the same? They both have an empire. They both have space wizards. Well, I mean, I guess, but let's not let's not get too far into that. And aren't stormtroopers just Imperial Guardsmen born to die with ineffective laser weaponry? <laughs> well, if you look at their blasters as flashlights, I think uh-huh. that makes a lot more sense. And don't they have comically unworkable walking tanks in the form of ATATs and dreadnoughts? Look, there might be some inspiration going back and forth between one another. Um, I don't know why they chose to go that route for the uh, for the for what we consider the humans in this. <laughs> it's uh, it is kind of amusing to draw some of the parallels across there. I have seen quite a large number of uh, 40k and Star Wars crossovers, especially in the genre of you know who wins that battle if one of them invades the other. Which, it's a it's a cute thought experiment. It's kind of amusing. I don't want to talk about that, because the last time I talked about that, I wound up, like, uh, getting murderous thoughts at my husband, so we're, we'll just <laughs> skip that one. <laughs> All right, well, well, maybe we'll just uh, go ahead and skip past the potential argument and save that for next week, when we will have a full one-hour discussion over who would win Star Wars or 40K. Order 66, the Grey Knights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and start in on the actual topic of this episode, which is basically the opposite of nerd arguments, in improving your community. Yeah. This is a, a subject that we've kind of wanted to talk about for a little while, because it's it's something that you may not think of as competitive, because, like... You, when you first hear, like, improving your community, I was like, oh, yeah, right, like, being a better person and making the game welcoming to everyone. And you think, that's that's not competitive. That's maybe a good thing to do, but that's not competitive. But the reality is it will actually, like, improve your play a lot to improve your community. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm super – I'm very passionate about um, the idea of improving your community, improving the players around you, and just mm-hmm. the general – the general like state of things around you um, between yeah. like terrain, painting of models, skill of player, like there's so many things to benefit from that all kind of like feed into this. Yep. Um, and competitively speaking, um, look at it kind of like a, a dojo. Um, you have your, your local game store, your local meta, and the only way you're going to become the best fighter around outside your local area is if the people in your dojo are also good the best fighters in the world train with the best fighters in the world in fact Absolutely. people travel just to have that experience but if you can start fostering and creating that experience locally and everybody around you just starts getting better and they make you better mm-hmm. that's the clearest and easiest way to up your game is to just play better players and the only yeah. other way to do that is to make the players around you better yeah and I think that's really critical because it, it it's not just something you do for other people. It's something that will help you. And you'll if you look at the best players in 40K, the people who consistently take top spots in tournaments and are very well known and are winning these, these really big events, they are all very passionate about their communities and improving those communities. Uh, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that that is very much like those are the people who improve others and in doing so improve their own skills a lot as well. 
mentoring is definitely a great way to improve because you have to know something well enough to teach someone who doesn't know anything and teach it to them well. Yeah. So why don't we actually start out with teaching other players? Because that's sort of like the most obvious place to start in terms of improving your community. Um, what are some ways you guys uh, think are maybe like the best way to start or something in terms of teaching other players? Say you have a community to teach, but they're maybe not very good. What do you do to help them out? What do you what do you do to uh, get them better at the game? Okay, so the very first thing you do, and this is a really simple one that we've talked about before, is after a game with one of these people, or during a game, you just say, hey, have you considered doing this? Or you kind of give them that post-game analysis chat, where they get feedback on what they did and how they did. Right. And most people are interested to some degree, even from a casual game in this. Um, it's very easy to talk about this just by like talking about the game it's like yeah when you you moved your your rhino over there i knew it was going to be a bad game for you and they might be like oh really why do you think that was a mistake and that can be kind of a natural lead-in to explaining you know why they may have made a decision that hurt them during the game or whatnot without it coming across as like well, let me tell you why you were wrong about everything you did Mm-hmm. Ben, you were? You were going to say? There are some players who are pretty timid, I find. Um, mm-hmm. And especially the competitive like fraction of people, the percentage of people in the 40k community that actually play competitively is actually really small. We're at the, you know, the yeah. tip of the spear of the target market of this market of Warhammer. Um, and my goal is to get as many people that are like actively playing at game stores in their garages whatever, to actually dip their toes in and see if competitive play is something that they would actually might enjoy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are scared of it. I have a lot of people that don't want to play in the local RTT um, just because, you know, they they don't want to deal with that, that, that style of play. They don't want to deal with all the, like, the bad stigma that comes with it. And a lot of it is just getting your face pounded, like just absolutely getting destroyed, and they don't want to deal with that. Right. And what I like to do, um, especially since I'm a relatively well-known player in my area, is players don't specifically want to play me. And if they play me, they're like, oh, I'm going to lose. I'm like, I, I try to, like, demyst- demystify that situation. But, like, you know what, let's just hold a Q&A or, like, let's, let's, play, let's play a casual game. And, like, the mm-hmm. moment that, that they, that they like, that something bad happens, like, I'm like, I'm like we can go back. Um, you know, yeah. this, is, this is really easy to rewind. We can rewind this back to the top of turn two. I'm, you know, I'm spending, you know, my afternoon at a game store. It's not a timed chess clock game. Like, I have the opportunity right. to teach and educate um, and go over things with players and, and have a really good attitude. Above all, like, yeah. be a good sportsman while yes. you're doing this. Oh, yeah. It You you can't get a sour attitude. You can't, don't, don't also try not to, like, speak from a place of, author, like, authority as the fact that you're, you know, you are, you know, the, the tip of the spear as far as competitive play goes. You're a decent player. Like, speak with authority in that but all but don't you aren't a better person than, than this other person don't mm-hmm. don't degrade them don't don't put them in a situation where they're where you don't you know don't, try to not use words like oh that's just bad but like, no that's probably not the best play um yeah here's why i i think that um rather than speaking so much from authority uh you know saying like Come and hear the mighty words of the competitive player who will tell you what is good and what is bad. Um, speaking from the perspective of someone who is try- who is helping them, uh, because most people will be changing their list, they'll be trying to change their tactics, even if they're not competitive players, um, there's very often like, oh, I'm not happy with how my list functions. Not mm-hmm. because they're trying to make the best list on Earth, but they, wa- they want to make a list that is fun and does what they want. And you can still help those players out, even if they're not necessarily trying to become competitive at that point, where you can say, well, have you thought about including a squad of eradicators in your list? It seems like you struggle with anti-tank a little bit. Or, you know, maybe you want to try this unit instead, or maybe you should try reserving some of your units, or, or whatever it is that their list is struggling with, where you can offer... A, a critique 
but in a way that is coming across as you assisting them rather than you telling them that their list is wrong and bad, because that's not going to make anyone happy, obviously. So constructive criticism is something I studied a lot in my art degree, and the really simplest way to do it here is to build a compliment sandwich. Right. So you start by saying something they did, and then you go into the stuff that's like they could work on, and then you finish with something nice. And that helps lower people lower like, oh, God, you're saying something really terrible about what I did because you just said something nice. Mm -hmm. It can be a useful technique. The thing that I like to look at it is you really have to know your audience. And I know a lot of us nerds yep. don't really have public speaking or other such uh, interpersonal skills that polished. But um, for those of us that can and do understand that, knowing your audience is important um, when you're trying to. Uh, not only bring more players in and make the game look attractive and fun, because it is, mm -hmm. um, but it's also really important in how you send a message to someone. And you also have to understand a lot of people are different. Um, I've had players that are just like, be blunt, tell it to me straight. You know, uh, they they want they want to hear the the nitty gritty, um, and they're you know they're pulling out their notebook and taking notes. Or other people are really super defensive about what they have, and they don't want to be told that something is not optimal. Or, you know, they they're on the they have a experienced background of like, well, this this works really well at home, or you know, it worked really well at my store when I lived over here. Um, <clears throat> and it's it change is difficult, and people usually don't like change. You're telling them to make changes. Um, mm -hmm. They want what they're doing to work. Uh, but the thing about competitive play, and you kind of have to like take a step back and be like, well, competitively speaking, like the the best players are the ones that you know adapt and overcome. Like the same thing's not going to work every time. Um, you know, there you can't always just de jump and hope to break, make that nine inch charge. Like that that that's not a great play. You know, it's it's great when it you know sometimes when you make it when, when luck's on your side. But um, there's right. so many different things to teach and explain. But uh, in this game, but at the same time, um, how you teach it is really important, and that's kind of what keeps that player coming back. Because if they take your advice and then go do better um, in another game that they play, they're gonna come back, and that that's mm -hmm. a really great mm -hmm. feeling when someone tells you that they used your advice and they did, had a much better game. Yeah, that's people are looking for positive ways you can help them. Um... And that may be a list or a strategy or, or whatever, but if you can offer them something positive, they're a lot more likely to uh, come back and ask you for help in the future. Um, and depending on what they're asking you for, that can mean a number of things. Uh, like you mentioned, like people don't like changing, you know, this has always worked for me, this works in the future. Well, it, show them a way they can use what they have better. Not everyone wants to go buy a whole new army every time. So if it's like, they're like, well, my list isn't really working, you can be like, well, maybe if you switch out one unit and you can work from there. It can be little things. On the flip side, I want to remind people, um, since this happens a lot, specifically in this hobby, do not offer unsolicited advice. Oh boy, yeah. No one likes that. Yeah. You can you can solicit your opinion. You can be like, hey, would you, do you mind talking about the game or... Hey, do you, you know? Would you like? Would you like any advice? Like you can preface it if you feel like you f could help someone and have good advice for them, but don't just drop it on them. Like that's yeah. consent. <laughs> Nothing will piss off a player and drive them away more than you just kind of walking up to the table and saying, "Wow, your list is pretty bad. Do you need some help fixing it?" They will immediately shut down and ignore everything you say. Uh huh. I've had that experience just in traveling, like as a as an experienced player traveling to GTs. I've had players like yep. roll up to the table and they're just like, "Oh, that's a that's an interesting orc list," and I'm like, "Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I really don't like that at all. I hate it. No one does. It it is it is very grating, and it is the the thing we will steer you away. Let, let people ask you for help, because a lot of people do want help, but let them ask you for help. Yes. Um, also, don't interrupt someone else who's already helping them, to because you don't think they're, that person's help is as good as yours. Mm -hmm. That's... Come from a state of humility, not, for, not of arrogance, please. Right. So let's talk about some some other sort of things beyond this. Obviously, 
helping out new players or and teaching players is a absolutely huge part of improving things but there's actually a lot of stuff beyond that that you can do uh, that will improve your community in ways that maybe you did not expect um, so one of them that i have found is setting up a play space where people can game at because finding somewhere to play and also some time to play is actually a big impediment for a lot of players getting better at the game Yes, uh, it turns out consistency, even if it's not personally consistent, you're not personally consistent, uh, knowing that there's a, like, if I go here at this time, there's always a game waiting for me, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Yeah, that that yeah. will make a huge difference, and having that be every single week, at whatever time, that that lets people plan around it, that lets them be ready to be there, and know that, like, it's not it's not going to be a waste of my time if I show up there because there will be someone to play. Exactly. Yeah, and with a with a lot of local stores, like this is at the end of the day, those places, those local game stores are your lifeblood. Yes. They are the fuel that brings everything between you, you know, supplying your actual supplies to new players, to returning players, mm-hmm. to to play space, to everything like the as much as some people like to buy online and play at home and this and that um this hobby does not exist without local game stores uh so yeah you you have to support them and especially you know in this time of small businesses specifically in the u.s struggling um you know the 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 minute that you know things become a, a bit safer and okay to actually go do that like that that's where i like to be um my favorite place yeah. to play is in a game store i like to have other players I, I you know i have so many players that just walk up and start chatting me up on certain things and they're like mm-hmm. oh what do you think of this new orc unit or what do you what do you think about this and i just i get people just like to shoot shoot the like just like to talk with me about things like it's it's fun yeah mm-hmm. yeah that that is a way because you have a natural audience there the people who go to game stores are the people who plays games and maybe they played in the past, maybe they've always thought about playing, maybe they're aware of the game but have never played before. Those are all people who potentially get into the hobby and start playing and improve your local community. Mm-hmm. And as a player walking into a game store, you know, if I'm a newer guy and I'm looking around, you know, I'm thinking about playing 40k, mm-hmm. I'm going to walk in, if I see people playing 40k... I'm more likely to play 40k versus if I walk into an empty game store or a game store where people aren't playing 40k. Like it, yeah, it's it's just kind of a <laughs> these all all these things help each other. Um, yeah. So if you have an active play community playing um, at these local game stores, it it really only helps grow things. Yeah. Uh. Now there are some hurdles to this that can make things a little bit more difficult. Um, 40k is a very space intensive game, um, yes. which for many local game scores can be kind of a problem because they may not have room to set up more than like two to four tables. Maybe yeah. if you're, you're really lucky and it is a, uh, a larger store, they might be able to get like six or eight in there, but that's asking a lot because that's probably taking up basically the entirety of their store for your game. And I love 40k. It does not bring in the same kind of money that Magic the Gathering does. It's just they're not in the same league at all. But if you're there consistently, if you are a friendly and helpful presence for players, if you're working with the owners of the game store and the people who run things, they're going to be a lot better inclined to give you some space. So like, yeah, yeah, we have a closet back there. You can put some boards and terrain in there when they're not being used, as long as you guys, you know, only take up these couple of tables during the week. Yes. Um, also, they're more willing to do something like move a lot of furniture and be slightly well, actually, majorly disrupted to yeah. let you run a tournament if yeah. provided there's the community there to support it. Yeah, because it, in, at the end of the day, it is going to be about sales. Mm-hmm. They need to be feeling like they're getting something out of supporting you. Just So if you're buying things there and showing up, that's going to be a lot more convenient for you because no one really loves like waiting three days or a week or two weeks for something to get shipped into them. Um, and 
it's going to, on their end, be a bunch of people who are potential revenue streams. It's like, well, you come in, you play at a tournament, and you pick up the new unit you wanted to buy. It's that that's an easy way for them to, you know, feel like you are your community is contributing something to their store, uh, because as Ben says, it's it's something that goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to incentivize uh, stores and help them, you know, both scratch your back, you scratch theirs. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things we do around here is we support them with our league play, where it doesn't matter yeah. where you play or what you do. Um, all of our, our league buy-in money goes to the stores and is uh, divvied out via store credit. Um, right. We actually work with multiple stores in, in Las Vegas to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's still the community fueling and playing and doing doing their own thing, even not during, you know, tournament time. Um, and it still feeds into that. Some, that money still comes back to the stores. So yeah. um, there, there's there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, you know, and there's some stores are really good at doing it themselves. So you know, once again, right. don't offer unsolicited advice. Make sure you have this conversation with these store owners. Um, right. But if you can help those stores do what they what they mean to accomplish, like you know, I have you know three tables worth of stuff set up my home, and they're like, oh, we're you know we don't really have enough tables for an RTT. I'll I'll drive you know two three hours to any store that wants to hold something and bring my terrain and you know help mm-hmm. them host something if they're looking to host something. Yeah, let's actually go into that one a little bit deeper because I think the largest impediment to most players being able to play this game is actually terrain. Yes. Armies are not cheap, but most people can very easily rationalize buying into an army, but actually owning enough terrain to play a full game is an investment that costs almost as much as an army in a lot of ways, um, and it and it may not be something that most people have the space to store or play at and whatnot. Um, so if you are like Ben and you do have multiple tables worth of terrain, you can contribute a lot to your local RTT scene. Yeah, uh, in our local RTT, we have a, a pl- player that owns a couple boards, and he will always bring one to two boards mm-hmm. to our tournaments. And and that makes it a lot easier because, you know, for an RTT, you're going to want somewhere between five and ten tables to play. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you don't really have a tournament. You, you kind of just have, like, three or four people playing each other. Um, and that's, you know, five tables worth of terrain is a lot of space at a game store to ask them to store that all the time. But... Mm-hmm. If they only need to store, say, two tables worth, and you bring in three tables because each of three players brings in their one table worth of terrain, suddenly that's a lot easier to do for them. Yes. Yeah, and there's 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 so many things you can do to also fuel this, whether it's some stores, they tried this whole, like, stretching out where, like, the store holds an RTT, uh-huh. but they're looking to host a GT, and, well, you know, either they rented a space or did whichever, they have the space to do it, and they keep running into a situation of, like, well, we don't really have the room to expand to that, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of easy ways to do that, um, you know, via, yeah, um... via build, you know, helping them build stuff, do foam stuff, like, there's a lot of ways to volunteer that don't involve monetary value that could just involve your time yeah because time is another huge resource obviously it costs money to buy terrain and whatnot but there are ways you can make terrain for cheaper and there are a lot of things that you can do um organizing the terrain the tournament itself is actually a major thing um that may be one of the reasons that the store doesn't want to do things because they don't want to be the one having to make all of those decisions and call people and figure out a time and actually run the tournament and get the software and all that sort of thing or mediate every single bloody well rules is intended dispute yeah because you need someone to make all the rules calls and be the judge as well uh and if the owners of the store are not 40k players they may not be in a position to do that. Yeah, if the if the store's looking at the bottom line, they don't want to they don't want to pay somebody to deal with you guys. Right. Um so in terms of organizing an event either at your store or if you've expanded to something like a GT size, um if you're willing to take that time and you you have that time, um that can make a huge difference as well, because tournaments don't happen unless someone steps up to do them. And no one wants to be the guy who's running the tournament instead of playing the tournament, but it does have to be someone. Um, 
So maybe yep. maybe you take turns. Maybe you have one dedicated person who doesn't have an army ready or, you know, is not really that interested in playing but wants to help the community or whatever it may be. Um, but finding someone who can organize the event or becoming that someone yourself um, can be a huge step towards growing your local community. Yes. Um, as someone who stepped up and became the local TO, I can tell you it's not it, it's surprisingly less difficult than it can seem it's an intimidating but not undoable yeah yeah i've i've to'd a number of events i've assisted in toing other events um or just was there to you know be able to answer a question where like say the t, you know say the to's playing in the tournament just as a um just as a ringer or a non-prize support player just adding in the numbers like mm-hmm. they need somebody to appeal to to you know if to not make a call on their game when they're playing, they, so they're not making rules calls on their own game. Right. Uh, there's there's more ways to skin this cat that are kosher than one. So um, it's it's a situation that you kind of have to figure out and have in a row. And if you're going to a store that isn't voluntarily doing this in the first place, and you go, oh, we have it all handled. Yeah. They're they're happy to just let you guys be there and come in and spend money. Like. <laughs> yep. Um. So, so that it's it's a win-win. Yeah. As as Shaylin said, like. Uh, you know, if if you can provide all this to them, then they don't have to worry about that. There are a lot of resources um, that can make running a tournament easier. There are various tournament software packages. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, Shaylin, you know some of the uh, the tournament like organizer groups on Facebook and whatnot. Can you can you speak to uh, which of them you think you would recommend like players asking about? The the only one I'm really part of is the ITC tournament organizers group, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually one of the best places to get like LVO rulings before LVO. That's very consistent. Sure. Um, but you, it's a great place for a judge to go, hey, I had this rule thing that showed up. What, what do you all think? Because this is how I ruled it. And mm-hmm. get feedback as a judge and grow yourself as a TO. Right. Uh, and I believe that the, the Best Coast pairings folks and everything are involved in that group as well. Um, they are, and they can answer technical questions for you if your yes. app decides to catch on fire. And. The Best Coast Pairings app is, I believe, free to use for tournament organizers. It is. The TO app is free. So you can use that to basically run a tournament. It does all of the things that you need to do uh, for you know, pairings and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it removes – you don't have to you know, draw out your 16-person ladder and try and figure everything out that way. Uh, Best Coast Pairings will do all the work for you, which means you're really just sort of responsible for the human aspect of things. Yes. Uh, word of advice, feed your players. You don't want them to have to go wander around finding lunch. Depending on your what your local scene is like, yes. Um, ordering in some pizza or something can make it a lot simpler. Uh, but some stores are fortunate enough to be, you know, in a, a mall or like a mini mall or something like that where it's just like, yeah, there's a pizza hut right next door. It is yeah, there's... zero minutes away. <laughs> The game too hangry slash tired um, after you know starting at you know 10 a.m. or so or 9 a.m. Uh, can get real real tiring and kind of degrade on your play. So yeah. I always advise that little little lunch or snack break of some sort. Um, yes. Sean, you mentioned uh, Facebook as a resource to reach out to something, and I think it's highly important um, that some players uh, look into social media a bit further, especially with building their community. Yeah, yes. we we should definitely talk about that a lot. But before we do that, I think that we need to maybe uh, reach out for some resources of our own with the Quartermaster. And we will take a short break and then be right back to talk about all the ways that social media is only good and never has any bad aspects. <laughs> <laughs> I can't leave this man unattended. I shouldn't be unattended. <laughs> Greetings, this is your good host. 
I am here to extend a special COVID offer to any and all gaming-related businesses that would like to advertise for free on In the Finest Hour. Times are hard, and we want to support you. Give us a jingle at inthefinesthour at gmail.com or message us on Facebook, and we'll hook you up with the advertising. And we are back, ready to talk about social media, a thing with no downsides and only upsides, as Shaylin was explaining. Uh-huh. You know what? I'll, I'll go into the upsides of social media yeah. so I can clarify your confusion, Sean. Yes. Um, the Two things social media groups do. One is uh, it's easier to find your group. It's a place to point people to like, hey, this is where our community communicates. Mm-hmm. Um. So new players can find you, can figure out what's going on, can meet up with people in the community. So it's an accessibility thing. And it also lets you advertise tournaments, which lets people from out of your community come in. And that former part, I think, is especially important if you are using uh, something in something along lines of like Facebook or a uh, website or forum of some kind, um, because it's something that will show up on searches. So if someone just sort of Googles name of town Warhammer 40K, you will presumably show up on that search and they'll be like, oh, we have a community here that I can join. Uh, and that gives them a very easy way to sort of like just walk right in. And you presumably you have the time and place that you play at and ways to contact players and whatnot so that they can be like, oh, I don't have an army. And someone can just say, oh, I have an extra one. I'll bring it for you this week if you want to show up. Yeah. So I find the majority of the time that players typically find our social media pages mm-hmm. before they even step foot into any game store, especially yep. players that are new to town or looking to start playing. Yeah. Um, and these are players you need to give the best response to because they're the ones actively, you know, trying to do this. Mm-hmm. So um, they'll, they'll step, you know, I see them pop into the Facebook group, you know, new players, you know, so-and-so has joined and then it's, it kind of takes off from there. And Social media has so many different avenues of being able to reach players and keep players hyped and active and interacting with each other. And, you know, especially in this day age of the pandemic, the big thing that have kept me going has been all of my group chats via either Discord or Facebook or this or that. Um, I'm in dozens of them between faction ones that spread across the country, uh, competitive player ones, my local team, my team one, a local Vegas one. Mm -hmm. Um, All of them are good in their own way. And I kind of want to focus on how great the local one is because people, it, keeping people talking keeping the conversation going people tagging asking questions it there's so much growth happening in just that spot where people are learning and experiencing and kind of like figuring out how they're even going to play this game or what they're what they're going to do before they even put a model on the table um like Mm -hmm. it's 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 great um and i'm I'm always ecstatic to see how active our uh, local chat is um because it's i'm sitting there catching up scrolling through and i'm just like oh wow and then someone will tag me in like an orc question or something and um it's probably my favorite piece uh are those group chats where people are you know actually communicating with each other yeah oh yeah the Social media is very good for keeping players engaged with the game because six days a week, 14 hours out of even the one day you're able to play, you're not going to be actually playing 40k. The amount of time we actually spend playing this game is a very small percentage. But you can still stay involved with the game and interested in it by engaging in other ways, specifically through social media and talking with players. Um, and and this allows you to sort of continually like build that interest and excitement because people are only going to be interested in the game if they actually have something to do with it. And talking about lists and talking with other players and asking questions and having discussions is a huge part of the hobby. Um, it, it's maybe the most important thing. 
Yes. Uh, on a small side note here, um, these community, these Facebook social media communities do have a downside. They do need a little bit of moderation. Yeah. Um, you don't want toxicity in your community. It's a great way to drive people away. And that's true for real world communication also um you, yeah. you should sort of like establish some rules and especially if you were the one doing all of this organizing and everything it falls on you to be the one who's there to talk to people and say like hey you really blew up after that last game at the other guy you need to bring that under control mm -hmm. because that sort of person it there's always this argument of like, well, if we throw him out, who else are we going to throw out? And the answer to that is very easy. It's anyone who behaves like him. Um, yeah. Because those people will ruin a community more than anything else. It, no, no matter how much you may feel bad about like, yeah, but he's a really good player and I like him and all that, that sort of behavior is not okay. And you need to... First, talk to them about it, and if they continue doing it, you need to just say, like, hey, you're not welcome back here at game nights because you are making this unpleasant for everyone else, and no one person is worth more than the enjoyment of every other player at the event. Yes. So social contracts exist whether we're talking virtually, like we're doing with social media here, mm -hmm. or in person. A lot of people um, can get pretty keyboard warrior-y or a lot worse of a personality when they're behind a keyboard um, yeah. and in a virtual setting or in a setting where you may never actually meet that person because some people just have anxiety over, oh, I might see this person on Saturday and you know they, they don't want to deal with the fallout from what they said. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and while, you know, moderating there's there there actually is a form of doing that and um one thing i want to focus on on the more positive side is the more you reward sportsmanship and better play mm -hmm. uh and better players uh the less likely other players are to act out and do, and misbehave and do bad things so like yeah. if everybody if, if, you, if you're gonna have a hard time finding players that are being really shitty to each other um when all the other players in the room are all being really good to each other. You'll yes. find more players being really crappy to each other if you find a if you find one or two more players doing that same type of behavior. If you eliminate it in the first place, if it's not there in the first place, it, it never has an ability to grow or enter your community uh, from there on. So stay on top of it, reward the good stuff, always do the good stuff, um, and then you know nip nip the nip the bad stuff in the in the butt as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. yep yeah so do you guys have any other like social media uh sort of hints and things ben i know you talked a bunch about like all sorts of uh chats and whatnot you are a part of both locally and uh you know in a broader context um is, are any of those ones you started yourself or were there sort of ones you joined up with uh, some of them I was asked to join. Some of them, like, we have a competitive or orc player chat that I've mm -hmm. mentioned more than once now. Um, that was kind of like a little invite from Val, Heffelfinger, uh, a while ago. Yep. And it started as a joke and turned into something different. Um, mm -hmm. there, there are other ones I, there are other ones I've looked to join. There are other ones I definitely have to be a part of because, like, there's my team chat and my local chat. Sure. Um, and there's sometimes there's just small conversations where someone will reach out and ask a conversation. about, oh, let me loop this person in, this person. Like, sometimes mm -hmm. someone will ask me a question about Blood Angels. I'm like, oh, let me go get my friend Thomas and have him talk to you about Blood Angels because he's better at that than me. You right. have this infinite resource called the internet and people that are social that actually like talking about this stuff. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, why would I talk about it when I can just have Thomas do it? I'm just going to say what Thomas says anyway. Uh -huh. um, so there's also the idea of using groups and events. Um you're talking mm -hmm. about local game stores always having a time and a place. Where do you find that time and place? Well, right. if you don't have somebody to talk to or you're too shy or whatever it be, may be, having, having like a reoccurring event on Facebook is huge. Like if you type in Warhammer, like if you, once again, you type it in to a quick little search bar, um, the event will pop up because it's a public event as long as you made it public. So right. Also make all your events public. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, boom, your event pops up. If you, and, and with BCP, if you if you get your tokens early and list your events, your events just show up. So yeah. if someone is in, in town traveling, touring, whatever, or like just pulls up BCP and goes, oh, where are their 40k tournaments? Boom, it shows up. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of opportunity to use events, and then there's also you know the built-in group function that that uh, that 
that we have where people you know either do posts on walls or this or that and that's a really good place to post your progress and lists and ask questions and you know stuff that doesn't move quite as fast as like a group chat um, right i'm a big fan of discord um yeah we we obviously have the end as our discord but like you know just in, individually in discord there's a lot of ways to you know pop in have four people discuss something or stream a tabletop simulator game or do mm-hmm. any sort of other things like there's there's infinite ways to uh use these tools to your advantage um and competitively speaking yeah there's that there's also you know you can go even farther in the hobby with like between like just painting and getting you know growing the game because like the more exposure there is the more people get interested the more people play the bigger the tournaments get it's once again all tides uh all rising tides float all boats mm-hmm. yep so let's go ahead and take that off to uh, another, I think, very relevant subject, which is traveling to tournaments. Uh, yes. Because if you have, you know, maybe gotten some players in and you have some some folks who are maybe been to a, an RTT locally or something uh, and they want to perhaps try something a little better, there can be some real hurdles in between you know, I just traveled to my local one-day RTT, and there's a GT happening two hours north of here. I want to go to that, but how? Yes, says the man who doesn't have a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a real problem Sean has, so he uses mine. <laughs> yep. Oh, the call out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a reason I rely on uh, traveling with other people to tournaments, because... It's a very good strategy. <laughs> it saves you a lot of money. Uh, it also means you get to have a really cool road trip conversation with this other person. Right. I can't tell you many hours I spent learning about 40K having Sean uh, lecture me. We'll be honest about it in the car. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, my, the thing I like about um, the 40K or hobby road trip, because I've done this for multiple hobbies, mm-hmm. um, is... You get a, a younger player, or um, or even a more experienced player, but just a player who hasn't done this before, a player who hasn't traveled competitively to bigger tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got room in your car, be like, hey, I'm heading to so and so GT on Saturday. You know, for me, it'd be like in Phoenix or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are gonna be like, oh, well, well, that sounds fun. I'm like, do you want to come with? And they're like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, do you do you want to come with? Like, I, I have a friend that lives in Phoenix that stays essentially going to be free. You, just, you know, we can, we can split gas. Even like, even if that is an obstacle, half the time I just pay for gas. Um, mm-hmm. Just the, the ability to like kind of like ropes players in for life and makes them want to play more, makes them more competitive, makes them, yeah. you know, actually, you know, form and see new metas. Like there's so many benefits to traveling, but as far as like building your community, um, the offering up that ability or working together to get someplace um, and organizing stay or doing whatever you can, you know, be the, be the navigator, be the guy that handles the snacks in the back. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's so many roles to play, but oh yeah, it, getting together um, and traveling, it really builds those bonds. It builds community and it makes, once again, makes everyone better. And yeah. I will be honest. I have also reached out to people who I've only met online and said, can I crash at your house? There's a GT in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's how they learn about it. Yeah. The 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 tr- the car itself obviously a huge thing that you can offer if you have one, a place to stay either because you've arranged one with someone else or you have a hotel room or because you know someone in the area or you are in the area. Uh there are lots of different ways that you can sort of pool resources to travel to tournaments more efficiently um because the actual cost of a tournament like the entry fee fairly small unless you're going to something like you know your lvos or novas or something like that but it's all those associated costs the 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 car the airplane the food the hotel that add up and if you can divide those between multiple people, then suddenly it becomes a lot more affordable. And instead of being a four or five hundred dollar trip, it becomes a one or two hundred dollar trip. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, living in a place that hosts GTs often and is the home of LVO, mm-hmm. um, 
I I like big tournaments. Yeah. Um, I like people to come out here. If I can assist people either by helping them find a cheap rate through my locals discount or even just letting them stay at my place, like if I like them enough, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. opening up opening up your doors for people, you know, you can screen whoever you want. You know, I'm I'm typically cool with most players, but like if I get people coming in town and that's the make or break point, like yeah, stay at my place. Like <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. It, it, it brings so many more players in. Um, you know, a lot of times some of these GTs have a hard time hitting that Magic 28 number. Uh, and when you bring those two guys in from out of state um, and you get, you bring 28 players, you, you, you get that real that real feel-good feeling of like, oh, I, I just made this GT happen. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. More players will enjoy a tournament than often sort of initially think because – Ben mentioned earlier, like, a lot of people are intimidated by tournaments, and they'll feel like, oh, I don't want to go and just get stomped on for five rounds. That's not going to be any fun. Um, and I, if you can convince someone to come along with you, or if they're interested in the start and you can offer them the resources to make it doable for them, they may become a tournament regular. And, and suddenly all of the tournaments in your area have one more person at them, and they're that much closer to being a GT or to even being a major, because... When you can start getting consistent majors in your area, then that's a huge bonus for not only your your local play, but your meta and your skills and all that other stuff. That is exactly how I got into tournament play, by the way. Someone convinced me to go up with them to Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings in, like... The moment you start hosting GTs and majors, it only brings in better players, and then those are the guys you have to beat. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like. You, well, the moment you start players start traveling from around the country to come to you yes um you know you're you know you're in a better spot like <laughs> yeah well you know the first mm-hmm. time you're your nick nanavati or sean naden or brandon grant whoever travels into your tournament and you get to play them oh yeah you might get schooled but i'll tell you what you will learn so much about the game from playing that person that it is going to completely change how you look at things yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy and like that the whole you know once you get into this large network of people that you've played and know and travel um it it's it becomes vastly important and you never you never really look back and that's why <laughs> i want to really emphasize on the whole like bring players with you if a player has never traveled for you know 40k yeah bring someone with you 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 are doing them a favor trust me yeah well, let's sort of hit on the last subject that we've we've touched on a number of times already, but I think is really key to this whole thing, and that's bringing in new players. Um, because we've talked about the ways that, you know, hosting events can bring in new players, and the way that being at a game store can bring in new players, and the ways that teaching, but, you know, actually getting new players, I don't think we've really talked about why that is so important. So... Games go stale, and metas go stale if you don't have new blood coming in. That is just a reality. Yeah, if, if I mean, that's sort of intuitively obvious. If you play the same seven people over and over and over again, you're going to get real bored real fast, and then you're going to lose interest in the game. Um, not just everyone else, it's like it's going to hurt you. Um, and in a very direct way if you're playing those same seven armies over and over again. Yes. So all all games have a no matter what hobby it is have a declining player base at all times. Yeah. Um, there's always players leaving for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always players stepping away. There's always players that just can't anymore. There's always players that flat out quit. Um, right. You also need to have new players be at least equal to that, if not more, you know, desirably. Yes. Uh, so you you need to make up for the loss of general players, whether it's your local community or on a broader sense. Um, you need to have people coming in. Like when people say new players at a lifeblood, they really are. Um, yeah. You know, I remember you know when I actually started. You know, I've been a nerd and in, in nerd hobbies forever. Um, between Magic and other such, and I when I decided to like pull the trigger on 40k, I kind of had an idea what I was getting to due to my other experiences. But mm-hmm. I walked in on it and I was like, all right, I uh, it's it's time to start time to start doing this. And that was only three years ago. Um, and I've gotten yeah. I've gotten to have the chance to impact my community greatly in just that short time. So it's it's been really good for me. I've had a I've had a lot of fun with it, and I've gotten to foster a bunch of other people. 
Yeah, I think Ben is a really great example of someone who is, like, you're relatively new to the 40k community. Like, three years is obviously not a short time, but uh, compared to some of the people who've been in this game for, like, 10 or 15 or 20 years, that is a, a comparatively short time. And you're already, like, a pretty major figure in terms of the orc player base and of the, the meta of sort of the American Southwest there. Yeah, I, I, I had an idea of what metas were, thankfully, when I stepped into this. Like I said, uh-huh. a lot of this comes from a lot of this comes from previous experience. But like, I, I have found some of the best 40k players to teach. Uh, the ones that bring in are the ones that come from, um, kind of you know adjacent communities. Sure. Because uh-huh. yeah, like many of many 40k players have played other games, be they you know other war games or card games or computer games or whatnot. Uh, so this is that's another reason that having a game store is such a huge advantage because those are again your natural audience, the people who are most likely to be interested in the game anyways. Yeah. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been personally contacted by a TO where it's like, you're coming, right, Shay? Because mm-hmm. they have one female player that's scared to be the only woman in the room. So the fact that I'm such a consistent face is like a comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And you can be that player for your local community uh, if if you are the one who is well-known for showing up. And it honestly does not take a lot. Like, all you have to do is just kind of show up to tournaments and people will get to know you. Mm-hmm. You kind of have, you know, a limited shot at when a new player steps in or somebody gets interested in the game to explain the game and get them beyond the just mildly interested point. Because, you know, 40K, a lot of things that kind of like interest people. Um, mm-hmm. I won't call them players because they're not players yet. They, they just interest people. Like the whether it be the genre, the way things look, the way the models look, people step up to the game and they're like, well, what's going on here? And you, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, like... If you're who they're playing, you have to sell yourself. You have to sell this game on the back of you being their opponent at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah. So yep. if you can if you can make that appear fun, friendly, and whatnot, like you're more likely to retain that person or gauge that person's interest beyond just a mild interest. You mm-hmm. you are helping sell the game just as much as GW and the game store are. You are you know you're who this person's going to interact with at some point, especially if they come to that store. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is where uh, either kill team or the sort of combat patrol rules from the current edition of 40k can be really useful because they are designed to be kind of intro level Introductory. stuff. Yeah, where you can have a relatively small force and like let's just play a little 500 point game. It'll be you know really quick and easy, and we'll do the thing, and we'll even use like pared down rules. Um, we have whole other episodes we could talk about ways to draw in these new players and what's going to really work there. So I don't think we can really dive in too deep there. Um, but if you've played the game, you probably have an idea how to teach a new player and, and what's going to be off-putting to them and what's going to be interesting to them. New players like cool-looking models. They like having a chance at winning the game uh they they like relatively simple rules and the core rules of 40k are relatively simple um that is one thing they have done recently if you just put two tactical squads on the table and have them shoot at each other and maybe do a little bit of punching um that's actually a really easy game to play it's it's very very simple uh Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, obviously you can expand those rules outward, but you don't have to use all those rules when you're teaching someone new. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm actually mentoring a coworker of mine and his roommate because they're both interested. And mm-hmm. we played a rubric squad versus a strike squad the other day. It's yep. very fun. Just a, a, a nice basic little game is often a, a good way to kind of show someone how things work and what can be fun about it. And some people just like to be around for, you know, the the story. Like, tell a cool story yeah. about something that happened in a game. But, yeah, like, mm-hmm. and, and players will, you will talk for hours about their own stories or, or oh, have wow. questions or be like, wow, did that really happen? Like, yeah, a grot killed Gulliman. It was amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every it, it, Yeah, everyone has a story like that, and th- that's another great way to engage people with the game, because there's so many facets of it. The hobby, the game itself, 
the social and kind of storytelling aspects. Uh, there's yeah. lots of ways to, to draw people in there. Yeah, cheer for cheer for as many times that someone rolls five ones when they roll same as they roll five sixes. Like you're gonna have that story back. Like, oh, I remember that one time. Like mm-hmm. you can you, you can really foster that, and especially with you know someone who's picking up and rolling their first dice. It's like yep. it's like wow, man. Like <laughs> um, you can either you can either lament or do it or you know throw in a little bit more acting. You know just to show the enthusiasm. Um, but yeah. you know oh, yeah. you want to try and be as personable because like at the end of the day you want this person to come back. Absolutely. Positive reinforcement. I I think that covers the all of the the big things. Do either of you guys have anything you want to kind of say in summary here? Uh, wrap this whole topic up. This was the thing I just finally remembered was when I f- went to my first GT, I did a lot better than I thought I would. Yeah. So just remind people that it's like hey you're you're better than you think you are because you've been playing all these really good players in the area and doing okay and you're not the only new person who's going to be there you know they might feel like well i'm just going to go zero five and lose every game it's like hey there's going to be all kinds of players there you might you you have a very good chance of not being the worst player there even if you might think otherwise Mm mm-hmm yeah, Shay, Shay's story reminds me of my story of actually entering into 40k because like my I decided to play an RTT. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I picked a date. I picked December. This is like a month and a half before I was going to play because I'm like, oh no, two weeks is too soon. Mm-hmm. And I actually like built and painted and did everything for like a 90 plus boy orc army. Um, and I showed up to this RTT and everyone's like, who the heck are you, and why is your entire orc army painted? <laughs> hey, that that is definitely an impressive thing for your first tournaments. And, like, I didn't know. I was confused. Sure. I was like, I thought this was the way it was supposed to be. It's the rules I read. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if, if you look at the, the rule books, every army is painted. <laughs> what, what I'm trying to say is that, like, I hope players don't always do what I did. Um, and they have a much, there's a way easier barrier to entry <laughs> yes. than, than that. Um, and like, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, and like, once again, I, it, you want to create these communities because without community, there is no game without these game stores. There is no, there mm-hmm. is no hobby. The whole goal of this, like at the end of the day, if you're building a house of, you know, a 40 K to hobby, um, competitive play wise, you don't exist without this. Yeah. Um, and you need this as a solid foundation. Uh, and if you don't have a good one, you can build it. Yeah. You honestly yep. doesn't take that much. And the only other thing I will add to that is uh, the more the more hurdles and barriers you can remove from new players' way that stop them from entering the game, the better off you're going to be because the more of them you're going to get in. Exactly. Um, convincing my female coworker to join in because she keeps hearing us have way too much fun about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that is what draws people in, is they hear about other people having fun with the game, and they want to be part of that, too. Mm-hmm. So, if you would maybe like some tips and advice on this, uh, you're trying to build a community yourself, and you want you, you want some thoughts on how to go about that, maybe some more specific uh, stuff about like, well, this is my situation. What do you recommend I do here? Uh, and you want to contact us? Uh, we are at in the finest hour at gmail.com, uh, as well as on Facebook and in the finest hour. You can message us there as well. And if you want maybe something a little bit more in-depth of a conversation, or you would like to find a community that perhaps we have already established on Discord, uh, where you can chat about Warhammer and post really shitty memes and see pictures of people's cats and marriages and whatnot, uh, for $5 a month you can donate to our Patreon, which is likewise in the finest hour, and get to be a part of our private Facebook group as well as our Discord community, and just talk with all the hosts and the other people who hang around all you want so thank you to all of our patreons for helping to support us and make this show possible we really appreciate everything you've done for us i'd like to thank rylan woodrow for doing our awesome epic art he is still cranking out amazing stuff you can find him on facebook and instagram mm-hmm 
I'd like to thank Dinkmuse for the wonderful sounds that he gives us. You can find him on Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Next time we'll be talking about an interesting new part of 9th edition, which is flipping primary objectives. Kind of a, a thing that didn't exist before and now is an incredibly big deal. Well, probably the most important points you'll score. Yup. So, I hope you all look forward to that. For In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. West. Ben Drake. Thanks for listening.